Elijah came upon Elisha as he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. He was following the 12th. No one who sets a hand to the plow and looks back to what was left behind is fit for the kingdom of God. We are rejoicing this weekend here at the Abbey with two newly ordained priests in the beautiful ordination that we celebrated yesterday. This morning, Father Ignatius celebrated his first solemn mass at seven. Tomorrow morning, Father Lewis will celebrate his first solemn mass. They show us by their lives what it looks like to put one's hand to the plow in the religious state and in the holy priesthood and not to look back. And we pray that they don't ever look back as they embark upon their new, newly minted priesthood. Did it ever strike you that Elisha's 12 yoke of oxen is really a lot of oxen? You know, a yoke is that wooden beam that joins two animals, two oxen together, so they can pull a plow together. That means that 12 yoke of oxen is 24 animals. That's a whole lot of beef working in a field and a whole lot of boiled flesh to give away when he slaughtered all 24 of those oxen and followed the great prophet Elijah. The, the ancient fathers who comment on this text understand that there are actually 12 separate pair of oxen and 12 separate plows, 11 being operated by servants and Elisha following the 12th. You can imagine a whole line of plows working an entire field all at once, and then Elisha receives that call. The point here is that Elisha was a tremendously wealthy young man from a very wealthy family who could afford 12 team of oxen and all the servants necessary to drive them, hundreds and hundreds of servants to be able to feed with so much boiled flesh. Rich or poor, ready or not, the Lord calls us to holiness, to do his holy will. Maybe we're already set upon a certain path, like Elisha already was, busy about his work in a respectable and secure life. So some of you might be married with some children and another one on the way, or you might be at least for those of us in the religious state, professed, ordained, ready to set out upon a newly minted clerical life like our new newly ordained priests. Some of us here in this monastery are taking our first steps as novices. Some of you out there might be students or whatever. You're on a path of life. And right there in your current state in life, wherever you find yourself, that's where our Lord taps you on the shoulder this fine day and he says, follow me. Follow me more closely than you've been following me up until today. The Lord's call might seem a little bit unexpected. You might be thinking while he taps you on the shoulder today, well, isn't that what I'm already doing, Lord? Aren't I already in the life that you've given me to live? Aren't I already trying to serve you as a faithful Catholic Christian? 
Our Holy Father, St. Augustine, commenting on today's gospel passage, says that, says that when our Lord is there calling the disciple, it's as if he says, the East calls thee, calls thee and thou turnest to the West. The Lord wants us to turn around in some way and follow him from the path we're already on, even if it's a good path, because there's always more that we can give to the Lord, always more that we can uh, find in him by way of holiness. So just a few thoughts about how we might do that today, about staying in our place, about constancy, and about cheerfulness. Staying in one's place and struggling. A great uh, Californian Christian who founded a monastery, Eastern Orthodox monastery up in Northern California, Father Seraphim Rose, one of my my go-tos for spiritual reading. Father Seraphim Rose writes, Christianity in practice is a matter of staying in one place and struggling with all one's heart for the kingdom of heaven, staying in one place and struggling with all one's heart for the kingdom of heaven. He continues, one might be called to do the work of God elsewhere, or one might be moved by unavoidable circumstances, but without the basic and profound desire to endure everything for God in one place without running away, one will scarcely be able to put down the roots required in order to bring forth spiritual fruit. He wrote this in the 1960s, and he writes, with the ease of modern communications, even those 60 years ago, one may even sit in one spot and still concern oneself with everything but the one thing needful, with everyone else's business, with all the church gossip, with politics, and not with the concentrated labor needed to save one soul in this evil world. If that was true 60 years ago, all the more is it true for us today, my dear friends. We have to have this concerted effort to stay where we are and to serve the Lord. This is the practice of the present moment, striving habitually for the presence of God right now, looking for God's holy will for me today. It involves repentance, being sorry for my sins. It involves being satisfied with the life that God has given me. That is not looking for some perfect expression of Catholic holiness, looking for the best spiritual director, looking for the most elevated spirituality. It's the humility to know that I have everything I need where I am right now to be a saint. We might call that constancy. Constancy is something that we achieve not merely by obedience to tradition for tradition's sake, but rather a conscious assimilation of everything that is wise in our holy religion, consulting the church in her wisdom, consulting the fathers of the church in their wisdom. Outwardly, Constancy is worked out by prayer, fasting, almsgiving, and especially by a life 
deeply nourished by the liturgy of the church, which is why you're here this morning, driving all the way out here when you could go to Mass someplace, I'm sure, much closer to home. We need to be deeply nourished by the liturgy of the church. And the fruit that we reap from prayer, fasting, almsgiving, and divine worship gives us constancy and perseverance in our Christian life. Now, how does that work out for us? Well, I just want to bring to bear how 50 years of faithful Catholics praying and sacrificing for the end to abortion in our country, how that perseverance for 50 years almost has borne fruit in the Dobbs decision this weekend, just uh, Friday rather. Look at that. Did anybody ever dream a year ago that we would be living in a country with the demise of that horrific, horrific Roe v. Wade decision? Now, we still have a lot of work to do because, of course, everybody is going to be flying into our wicked state to obtain what they can't obtain at home. So we must continue to pray and fast. It's the greatest evil on the face of the earth, without question. Mother Teresa said famously, when, when she was asked, what are the greatest evils in the world? She said, abortion and the distribution of communion on the hand. She said those things together. Abortion and receiving Holy Communion on the hand. Because, of course, the first is such an, such an offense to the dignity of human life. The second is such an offense, it could be, if it's disrespect, disrespectful to our Lord's presence in the Holy Eucharist. So your constancy in your Catholic Christian life bears fruit and will continue to bear fruit. What else? Cheerfulness. Cheerfulness. We must be joyful Christians because without that, why would anybody want to be a Christian? Seraphim Rose writes, those on the road to holiness are in a state of deep happiness because they are constantly looking above and keeping in mind with determination and constancy to get to a certain place, which is heaven. If heaven is always on our mind, why would we ever be anything but cheerful, joyful Christians as we fast and pray and give alms and worship God with right worship? St. Paul told us this morning, for freedom Christ has set us free. So stand firm and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, we can be set free. We are set free. And we rejoice in that freedom at Holy Mass here today. And we are confident in this cheerfulness, confident in our constancy and persevering and staying in one place and serving God and looking for the kingdom because we know that God loves us. He loves us so much that he is going to reproduce on this altar again his sacrifice on Calvary and feed you with the fruit thereof, his holy body and his most precious blood. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.